What's up, everybody? This is your host, Scott Melker, and you're listening to the Wolf of All Streets podcast. Every week, I'm talking to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, trading, art, music, sports, politics, and basically anyone else with an interesting story to tell. So sit down, strap in, and get ready, because we're going deep. Let's go. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Round the X and Voyager, for making today's episode possible. We'll hear much more about them later on in the episode. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group, the only events and podcast production company I trust. For access to the premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today's show will be a masterclass in security, so get out a pen and some paper and be ready to take notes. This topic hits close to home for me, as I've been the target of various hacking attempts. A couple of months ago, I was sitting at my desk and happened to look down at my phone. I watched my T-Mobile service disappear, but thought nothing of it, as it's common for me to lose service temporarily because T-Mobile just doesn't offer that great of service. A few minutes later, I started to receive emails asking if I had attempted to reset my password to sites like Coinbase, GoDaddy, and Gmail, and quickly realized that someone was trying to hack me, as I'd recently heard a similar story of someone being the victim of a SIM swap. The next few weeks were absolute hell. While I was lucky and avoided any financial losses, the experience was horrid and not one that I would wish on my worst enemy. Then I got in touch with today's guest. Hasib Ewan is a cell phone security expert and the CEO of Afani, America's most secure and private cell phone service. He also is the creator of the Bitcoin ATM and has a long history of innovation and success in the crypto space. Hasib, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me here, Scott. All right. So let's just dive right into it from the beginning. What exactly is SIM hacking? Okay. So I actually went to the same experience that you had. Uh, someone take, took out my telephone number and then I started getting emails. And But luckily for me, I didn't get any financial uh, you know, problem with that. But at the same time, I suffered a lot of emotional loss and painful, like, you know, it, it was a painful, uh, painful process uh, and it happened to me four times. And that's how I, how I started the company. So SIM hacking, purely as it looks like someone just takes over its cell phone, uh, SIM card. So they buy a brand new SIM card from the store or online and they transfer your number to their number. So now they have they can do whatever you can do with your telephone number. They can pretend to be you, get into your account, and financially drain you. So they can take over every piece of money that you have, every money that you have, and also get into your account and try to blackmail you with some information that they found or ask you for ransomware to get your accounts back. So that is exactly what SIM hacking is. Pretty simple process. Uh, generally, it's done through social engineering or in some cases through bribe where they will pretend to be you or use a fake ID or call that, hey, there's someone, they are you and you lost your cell phone. And based on the information that's publicly available or on dark web, they will just take over your telephone number. Um, and you may not know it within like 10, 15, 20 minutes or sometime even up to like six to 10 hours. Because like imagine uh, someone sims up here at 10 p.m. at night uh, and you're sleeping, so you may not even know uh, till you get up and then everything that you had is gone. Right. I was so lucky that they attempted to do it at like two o'clock in the afternoon, my time, because I happened to be sitting there and watching it. What you just touched on is exactly what I thought was, oh my gosh, if this had happened at 2 a.m., it would have been 10 times a nightmare. And I actually know that recently Charlie Shrem told me and he tweeted about it that you helped him at two o'clock in the morning uh, with his not first, but second or third SIM swap. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people think that, hey, we are protected. And I think in your case too, like uh, 
when we try to seem happy or we try to do something similar to that, a lot of people say that, hey, because I'm in AT&T or like any other major carrier, I've told them, hey, I'll get, I'll get SIM swap, so have protection on my phone. But 99.99%, uh, we are still able to hack them. Or the hack, and if I can hack them, like think about it, the white label, white label methods, what cyber criminals can do to them. So yes, think about are you are you not traveling? Like imagine you are going on a vacation and you are just sitting on a plane for 12, 15 hours, um, and uh, you know they hack you in the meanwhile. Right, and you know it, it's just a really crazy experience because you then go through the whole process. You turn your phone off with T-Mobile. That was the first thing I did. I said absolutely shut my phone down. But then you go through these next weeks of talking to their fraud department and all of their experts, and they tell you, you know, we've added this protection, we've added this protection, we've added this protection. You're good. Literally nobody can get it. And so then what happened when I called you to switch to your service? You SIM swapped me in less than two minutes. Correct. I think you were done in like 50 seconds or 120 seconds and you were sim swap and, and you had experience. You told them that, hey, put through. And they will assure you that we have gone through it. It's impossible for them to stop it. I think that's what people don't realize. But I understand why someone would hack me. I'm, you know, a public figure in the space. It's my real information. I'm doxxed. I'm not an anonymous person. But do they attempt to sim swap, uh, you know, anonymous people or, or, or people that maybe are not as visible in the crypto space? Well, certainly. So I'll give you an example about like we do get victims who are like old, like 65 plus or some people who are ordinary because when they're sim swapping, they're, they have three motivations, right? So number one could be financial, which is the biggest motivation. Second is reputational. They want to fuck you or they basically want to make sure that you have, uh, uh, they destroy you right? Like, you know, social media account or something. Third is emotionally, they really want, they hate you. So if you believe that, uh, you know, none in the world have either of these motivations to hurt you, I don't know what you are doing in your life right now. <laughs> right. Every, right. Everybody's, everybody's a potential target. Yes, it does. A lot of people think, hey, I'm an ordinary person, right? Like, you know what, why don't you, why do you put a lock on your door? Don't put a lock on your door. Like just sleep without, like think about sleeping in your house. Um, if you are nobody without having a lock on your door, right. I want to be able to sleep. I don't know if anyone else would be able to sleep. So okay. that it doesn't mean that you're targeted. Like sometimes you're targeted, targeted, and sometimes you're just like a victim of like random thing. Cause it's the weakest link, right? Whoever they can find the most easiest way and whoever is the most vulnerable. So they have all the algorithms and the way they start off with a lot of information is public right now. Like frankly, some is by intentionally, some is unintentional. So your company are selling data. Uh, and they sell it to anyone, like basically it's paper or play. So if I say, hey, I want to buy data of this zip code, uh, I can just literally find out top thousand zip codes in US and then find out everyone who lives in that zip code and buy their data. And then I can run through an algorithm and through algorithm I can find out who's the best, best target. And my algorithm can also tell me that, hey, what car they drive, what, you know, like if they're rich or if they're not, like, you know, where do they work and everything. At the same time, it may not, you may not be directly targeted. You may be connected to someone who's a target. Like, think about it. If you are, you may live in a very cheap neighborhood, but you are like an executive assistant or like some secretary or some a security guard for a, for a big firm, they may hack you, right? Because they're trying to get into that system. So... But again, like I said, if no one in the world have any financial, you know, reputational and emotional attachment to you, I think, you know, I, I, I can't find those people. But if you do, let me know. Right. So it's somewhat clear that they're willing to hack anyone. It's not 
as crypto specific as people in this space might think. But if all of your you know crypto is secured in theory, in theory, do you still need to worry about being sim swapped? It it depends. So number one, you will get sim swapped because you know that uh, you know you don't have like think about it. Like you know if you're rich right uh, people may still attack you because they may not find crypto but they may find other information so i'll give you a simple example uh, is your social media account important right is your irs account important is your like you know um, your pension plan or like you know whatsapp or telegram is important because they can still get into that they can still get into uber accounts so i'll give you a very interesting history about a case that we had to walk through um, a person wanted some information from uber and uber obviously will not give the information so they simply have the person and then when they sims up Uber, you can basically uh, click on reset password and send you a password on your, on your telephone number. And now you can see where the person has traveled in the last, I think, 90 days or I think one year. Now, this is a small one thing I can tell you about. Like, you know, if you're Uber driver, right? We have seen a lot of cases where you can go into someone's Uber account. So I'll give you a simple account of uh, Uber driver. Like Uber driver will think like no one cares about me. But once you have an Uber, you can have a scanner which costs you like $100, $200, and you can scan everyone's IMEI numbers. And potentially from that, you can also get telephone number. So if you sit in an Uber and you ask for his number, he may give you this number, correct? And if you believe that he's a, uh, he makes a lot of money, you can simsap him, and you can change the, the way he receives the money. So you can just change it to like your own bank account, and he's driving, and but you will get the check. And frankly, he, will not even, he may not even realize for maybe... Uh, two months or one month that, hey, where my money is going? Because you got the money. And now good luck securing that money. And that money may uh, turn up offshore, so you don't have any control over that. Right. And I would have to imagine that uh, for a wealthy person, extortion or blackmail is also an issue. Correct. It is. So, so in DartWeb, you can unfortunately find out someone call log and also can find call locations. Imagine like in COVID-19, I'll give you, give you example. Uh, you can exactly find out that where the person is right now. So imagine you live in New York and or like you live in uh, San Francisco, but during COVID you went to Tahoe. So you can actually find out who can, um, where someone is. So frankly, like if you know the person, his house is empty right now, he's not, he's in Tahoe right now. I think that information is not fun to have for everyone. Yeah. I mean, that's very, very scary even beyond, but, and, and then there's the, you know, they could get personal information and tell you that they're going to spread it. If you know, you don't pay them a certain amount of money or something like that as well, I would imagine. Oh, certainly. So fun is financial. Like, you know, they go into crypto, you're going to a bank account, like they have a cron job. So once they get into email, they can actually scan through all the information within minutes. Like it's all done through like a software. And then they, the fun is financially, they try to drain you as much as possible. Then secondly, they go into, like they try to get into PayPal, Venmo, anything they can do. Second thing is emotional. So they try to get into your, uh, your personal account, like Facebook, Instagram, trying try to download the history, uh, trying to find into your, if they can get into iCloud, uh, find your pictures. You know, we had cases of revenge porn. Uh, we also had cases of where, like, you know, purely like, you know, they found some information on their customers and they, blackmail them if you don't give me this information like think about a lawyer if your information is compromised you may be okay to give money to someone to not disclose that information because you'll lose your entire career of it so they do right. pay something right. so yeah first is emotional then they come after reputation and then third is emotional they just wanted to because they're criminal they're evil minded right so just want to screw you with your mind they will basically push you uh till you break down and frankly i would not be surprised that people have done suicides 
Right. I, I'm, I'm sure that that's true. So you, you've touched on a few times the dark web, and I think that that's a foreign concept to most people. Can you talk about what the dark, dark web is, how it works, uh, what it's used for? So dark web is, think about like, you know, as dark web, like you know, the name suggests, like, you know, basically it's very dark. Uh, it's hidden from the internet. It's uh, not discoverable to ordinary person. So you need to have a special browser and you need to have a special method to go into that. So think about like eBay.com there will be like a ebay.com for illegal stuff. So anything you can find, uh, you cannot find on like legal web, you can find there. Like, like literally anything. You can ask someone to murder someone, you can ask someone to buy a specific gun, you can get any kind of like medicines that you cannot get in store for cheap, but they're obviously uh, not legal or not through the proper channel. You can ask for uh, drugs, you can ask for any person. So there are people who are selling that information there. So with specific case, like imagine you are an employee of a, like a cell phone carrier and you work at a kiosk. Um, it's like similar working at a McDonald's. They'll just say, hey, let's sign up tomorrow. And now the person will have access to everything. So he will create an account on dark web and start selling information because right now he's getting a $15 off store, but online he may make money like $300, $400 by selling one account. So if he sell like 10 accounts per day, he made like three, $4,000. So he may not make money from his regular job, but he make money from his, uh, dark web. So dark web is technically, um, it's just an illegal web, right? That is not discoverable, not catchable. So there's no like regular domain. Like, you know, you have bodies like GoDaddy where you buy register domains. It's all illegal. It's best based on decentralized system and you pay them in crypto. And sometimes like a lot of currencies like Monero or other currencies, which are not, which is quasi like, uh, right, uh, like, you know, anonymous to, uh, to pay and, and so all the transactions purely, purely, purely illegal. 99% cases, transactions are illegal. That's why they happen dark web. So your data right now is being sold right now. Like if you say, hey, I want to get access to uh, people who uh, were hacked in Facebook hack, you can go there and find out. Uh, and you can also pay people to, so pretty much every major company have their employees selling inf your information there. So that's really how it happens. It's an employee who's a low paid worker and has an opportunity to make more money. I would also imagine, I mean, we all heard about the, you know, Equifax hack uh, a couple of years ago. Didn't that pretty much release, I mean, a, a huge percentage of data on almost every American into the dark web? Uh, yes. And also it's not like, a, so, uh, so these hackers, like number one, they mostly are outside US. So they will work in a foreign country and where the laws are pretty simple and like, you know, they, uh, you know, they don't get exposed to a lot of uh, regulation that we have here. So they may get some information Equifax and they may get some information on Facebook hack and then they have, so they will go basically go into like multiple of those hacks and combine that information because once they come after you, they come with a lot of information and that may not just be used from Equifax, but it's a combination of multiple things. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, so now we know how the dark web works. What do the criminals do with this information to actually end up swapping you? I mean, I know someone like me, I'm, uh, you know, my, my information is somewhat public. You can find me on Facebook. You can find information about me anywhere. If you're an average person, what is that criminal? What information are they specifically looking for uh, for the opportunity to hack you? So the number one information they have already, like frankly, it's very, very hard for average American to, because we are giving information, like if you sign up a contract with your, I'll give you example, like uh, any contract they sign, we don't read it. And it's, it's 
specifically says that we are okay to share this information with third parties, right? Anyone within the party, you don't know, like there was a recent sprint hack where they had a contractor who had this information stored in the Dropbox. So whenever you go in a store and you swap something, like you don't know what they do with information. They may throw it out, but they may not, right? So for an average American, it's actually bigger tough because like imagine if you got hacked or like a high profile person got hacked, he may be able to spend money lower than do stuff to protect himself. But an average American doesn't have a lot of support. You know, they're basically on a mercy of any, like where would an average American go? He can't go to a lawyer and say, hey, here's $10,000 to cure me. So what will happen is he will get constantly drained by those hackers who will come. So I give an example of having someone like, imagine you are, you are on a ground, like on a plane field and someone is holding a sniper, uh, sniper from the top. Now his goal is who to hit, he need to hit today. And frankly, it's up to him. Like he may watch and he may have algorithm to scan who I should be hitting today. And that's where he targeted. Every second, three Americans get become a victim of cyber crimes. Every second. And who's... Uh, who's protecting us from that? Anyone? The government? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good joke, right? Well, yeah. uh, uh, frankly, like I had, I don't trust, like I, I believe in government, but I'm certainly a libertarian. I just think that it all comes down to your own self too. Like, you know, there's some kind of sanity that you need to do. Governments are doing a good job, but frankly, uh, there is a very, very thick line, not a thin line between privacy and like security and like liberties and freedom and all those things. Uh, government cannot come after everyone. Like, you know, they can't protect a small crime. They're doing a fabulous job at protecting a lot of us, but at the same time, they may fail at multiple things too. That's why we have bulletproof cars. Like, you know, if the government were protecting everyone, then there should be no guns, right? But they don't like, you know, there should be no healthcare problems, but Ultimately, it comes down to like you, like you know, we don't put a lot, we don't like, you know, leave our doors open that, hey, governments are basically protecting us. No, they are, they are, but it doesn't mean that you need to be a fool. That's why every car will say that uh, if you go outside, they will say that, hey, uh, put a lock on your car, right? Like why you should not leave any expensive stuff in your car. So frankly, there's no one like, you know, and 99% and think time is our own fault. Right. So specific to crypto, um, we all know that you're basically your own bank. You're in charge of your own security. It's, it's you know, not like your money is insured. So if you get hacked and you lose your crypto, it is gone. So I think the most important thing we can talk about is how do you secure yourself and make sure that that doesn't happen? First of all, I know you run a service. We can talk about that to actually prevent the SIM swap in the first place. But let's say you're an average person and you actually get SIM swapped. What protection should you have in place to make sure that they get nothing? So number one thing I want is like the Google Authenticator or Authy or some kind of like third-party authenticator. So it's an app-based authentication, right? So number one, that's like very, very important. Like never, ever use SMS as a two-factor. And uh, now it's convenient, right? It's simple that you have SMS, you get a text message, and but never ever use it for any because that, because that text message is going to the hacker once they swap you. That's exactly Correct. what they're counting on. Yeah, yeah, and like so, so for folks, I'll reiterate, like you know, when a hacker have your control, basically they will get every phone call that you're supposed to receive, and they can call anyone from telephone number that they own. Like imagine they may call like Comcast and say, "Hey, I am." Like Scott, this is my telephone number. This is everything. And obviously the guy on the other end is saying, okay, this is a Scott number. I'm looking at it right now. So they can do that. So yes, uh, for protection, like for pure protection, like, you know, don't sign up for every other random service, right? 
have a so for two factor always use a sms uh, not, not never use a sms always use a, like app based authenticator and try to have a different phone like you know a phone like you can buy a phone off ebay for like 50 dollars like a random basic phone just get it like an android or apple like an old app and just use it for 2fa yeah and i use a separate phone for for my 2fa it's a bit of annoying but it's worth it obviously yeah the thing is like you know it's a, it's a simple thing like 50 dollars nothing like you know uh you can just buy and have a separate offline kind of a 2FA thing. That's the single thing that saved me from uh, losing my money was that my 2FA was on a separate phone so they really couldn't access anything, you know, no yeah, matter how much. that's what I did too. Yeah, so if you do that, that will basically be very, very secure. So that's like number one thing. Second thing is uh, maybe have like a two kind of a tier um, email system. So you can have one email that is like totally like a Proton email or like any other secure and one is like regular for other stuff. So that's a bit, like one is like a public email and one is like giving email to everyone kind of thing. Um, so that's like second thing you should do. And certainly then I'd be biased around like using a secure cell phone service like ours. Uh, but if, frankly, if you don't, then have a, maybe use like a, a couple of telephone number, like, you know, so if one get hacked, you know, uh, that's your public number, but that number is not connected to any service. Right. So you could connect a Google number that nobody knows and has access to, to all of those other things, even though you don't really want to have your phone number attached to anything. Correct. I mean, part of, I know part of your service getting ahead of ourselves is that you go online and make sure that people's phone numbers are detached from all their accounts. We run, a, we run a check and see, you know, we advise them, but, uh, and we make sure that their entity is not linked to a telephone number. So the first thing we do is basically we try to anonymize number. We try to delete as much information as possible which is linked to a telephone number. But frankly, if people keep on giving their telephone number to everyone, like we can keep on deleting it, but ultimately it's up to people too. Uh, so we are kind of, a, like we, tr we try our best, right, frankly. Like we do, because that's why we are very focused on this two things, security and privacy. We don't sell you a cheaper plan. We don't focus on family plan. We don't focus on a lot of things that you're current. Like we don't give out Netflix, because that's, you can buy it by your own self. Right. So... Yeah, these are two things that, and frankly, I, st I started the service because I was hacked myself, right? And you know, right, was, you did it for yourself, right? I remember you telling me the story. You were like, "I need a better SIM card," so you just built yourself one. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, it was very painful, man. Like I, ha it happened four times, and after four times, you know, it has impact on my mental health too. Like you know, I was getting paranoid because like sometimes you do lose, lose signal. You may go into a cave, or you may get off-roading, or you may be, and you lose signal, and you know that you believe that it's SIM hacked. So it had a negative impact on your head too. And like WhatsApp, like, you know, you can have multiple numbers, but frankly, your one number should be with anyone that want to reach out to you. You can't have a different number of signal, different number of telegram and different number on anything. For public space, you have one number. And if someone get access to that, they can control a lot of your information. Like you are in WhatsApp groups, right? Everyone is like tons of uh, WhatsApp groups. What if someone hacks into your phone and gets into the WhatsApp groups? Right. And then uh, based on that information, he can do, he can do a password reset, multiple, there's a lot of things that they can do, frankly. Um, so yeah, so coming back to use a 2FA as an app, that's what it is. That's really the, the key thing to protect yourself. So let's talk about specifically what you do. Um, you sent me a new SIM card. You told me it had 11 layer of mil military grade protection. <laughs> what yeah. does that mean? <laughs> so, it's, way, it's way over my head still. So I'd let you know. Yeah. Well, so the thing is that yeah, military grade is basically, so we just say, hey, uh, there's some standards, like, you know, there's no like hard and fast rule. Basically it just says that uh, it's like a generic term for someone who says, okay, you know, we are super secure. 
So I make a joke that if you can basically break into our system, you can break into any military systems too. Right. right. And that is what it is. So by 11 layer of military authentication is that we go through multiple checkpoints to verify that, hey, it's you who's asking for this information. So imagine tomorrow you say, I want to change my plan, which we don't offer, but hypothetically you say, hey, I'm Scott, uh, and I want to do this thing. So we say, okay, Scott, that's good. I understand you want to do this, but we have to go through multiple processes. So I'll give you an example. Like, first of all, we may text you a call. We may text you. Uh, so once you receive a text message, we understand that you are in control of your cell phone. Then we may email you and we find out, okay, you know, okay, you respond to email, so you have control of your, we may send you a physical letter, physical mailing letter. We may call you. We may access to your IMI number and see if you are actually the person who's responsible. So we go through at least 11 different processes to verify to you, right? So like imagine if one of those process breaks, you don't get through our systems. And all those processes are independent from each other. So if you even are able to like fool one or two processes, almost impossible to pass through like 11 processes. Right. I mean, because someone who's hacking you, A, has no idea that you're not with one of the major networks at, you know, at this point or one of the major carriers. And they assume that they're going to basically just need either your name, social security number, pin number, account number, something that's very simple to sort of to sort of find in that. And then they're going to run into a, a brick wall, you know, with, with you. Correct. So in, in our case, like, you know, we understand, like, you know, we basically anyone who asks for anything, we assume it's a SIM hacking. So now it's up to you to prove that you're not a SIM hacker. Right. It's the other way around. It's not like, you know, okay, you know, this is Scott. So let me do the verification. Like we don't ask you from mother's maiden name. We don't ask you for your address. We understand that this is address. So we actually go through a very rigorous process. I'll give you an example. In multiple cases, we actually send you a physical, uh, physical card, like, you know, physical letter that you have to sign and send it back or you have to write a code. Now, if someone is in your house after seven days, you know, then it's a different story. But if someone have access to your email, your your phone, your home record, your physical, because we also go through a um, couple of other checks. Like I'll give you an example. Like what if you are being like, you know, kidnapped right now? So we also look into that scenario. We, we understand like what if you are being like held hostage by someone and someone is trying to, so we go through multiple scenarios. And we work through like, make sure that hate is in multiple cases. We have lawyers uh, who actually intervene and they go and do verification on our behalf too. Wow. It's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, like, that's what we do. Like, you know, our frankly, like, you know, if even single case happened through us, you know, like where we like, we basically should not exist at that point of time. We only exist for one reason to protect you and to secure and private you. That's the only reason we exist. Like we don't offer cheaper plans. Absolutely not. We are actually the most expensive one right here in the market. Right. We don't offer you like a, a Netflix or like Disney plus subscription. We don't offer you any kind of like fancy database or any kind of other perks. We don't send you like every Tuesday, you'll get like a freebie from us. We only offer you two things, security and privacy. That's the only thing we offer. So if you right. don't, uh, if you don't do that, like, you know, basically you go to a restaurant, if you go to a McDonald's and you say, I want a burger and they don't have a burger, like, you know, they can't say to you, Hey, I'll, say, I'll give you a hat, right. I'll give you a toy. You know, no, you are there just for burger. So I just want my burger. So that's what we do. Only focus on two things, privacy and security, nothing else. 
RoundlyX.com is one of my favorite companies in the entire crypto space. What they do is they take all your small purchases and they round them up to the nearest dollar and invest that money into any of 25 crypto assets of your choice. They integrate with your favorite exchanges so that you can round up into different assets all at the same time. And they do this all without ever holding any of your Bitcoin. This is by far the best way to dollar cost average into Bitcoin. You'll never even notice that the money has gone from your account and you'll look up one day and hopefully you'll have made thousands and thousands of dollars on crypto. Go to roundlyx.com and use the promo code WOLF for $4 of free Bitcoin after making your first roundup or purchase. That's R-O-U-N-D-L-Y-X.com and code WOLF for $4 of free Bitcoin. Are you sick of paying ridiculous fees to trade crypto? It's time you try Voyager. It's hands down my favorite place to buy and trade crypto, and it's 100% commission free. Voyager gives you easy access to more than 30 top crypto assets, and you can instantly transfer cash from your bank account so you never miss a trading opportunity. Even better, you can now automatically earn interest on your crypto holdings. Currently, they're offering 5% interest on Bitcoin and 6% on USDC. Yes, you heard that correctly, 6%. And there are no limits or lockups, which means your funds always stay liquid. Find out why so many people are making the switch to Voyager. Visit investvoyager.com or search for Voyager on the iTunes or Google Play Store and get $25 in free Bitcoin when you use the promo code SCOTT25. That's investvoyager.com, promo code SCOTT25 for $25 in free Bitcoin and start trading today. It's almost scary when you think about the fact that they do do all of those other things when you, when you really think about it. Yeah, um, correct. Like, you know, like they'll hey, I'll give you a cheaper plan. I'll give you a family plan. Hey, you bring more wine. And fr- actually, family plans uh, make you more vulnerable. Like, you know, a lot of us are on family plans. Like, you know, the viewer at family, and that actually makes you vulnerable. So I give example. Imagine if you are at risk. Like, Scott, think about it. You're at risk and you are in trouble. Like, imagine you're going to a war. Would you take entire family with you or you will go by yourself? <laughs> yeah. Clearly, the answer is go by yourself. Correct. So if we are vulnerable and believe someone is trying to hack us, we are risked. Why would we, t- we will involve entire our family? Because we had cases where the primary victim had said, it, they may not hack you directly, they may hack you through someone else. So what if your daughter, your, like, I know you have daughter, like, you know, so I was kid too, right? I was son. And imagine he become a victim because of you. Oh, well, I mean, the worst part of the entire experience, hands down, was that uh, my wife was involved. She, I mean, we, we were, we spent, I'm not kidding. I mean, even with our children, everything, we spent probably three straight nights awake almost all night, you know, one hour, two hours of sweet sleep, changing mm-hmm. passwords, trying to, and then you start to forget what your passwords were and where you store them. And then you start thinking you're being hacked when you actually just made a mistake on your own or something. Yeah. But really, you know, I mean, I can tell you one of the things that they hacked uh, that they did get into, which shouldn't have been possible was GoDaddy. Yeah. Um, and because that's where my, one of my main email addresses was, uh, was, was hosted. And what they ended up doing was somehow they got past our 2FA, which makes no sense. GoDaddy's given us no reason, but they basically went in there. They then got access to my email. They locked us out with 2FA by putting it on. And it took us three days to prove to GoDaddy that we were ourselves. So hmm. dur- during that time they had access and my wife runs an internet company you know, has client uh, websites, things like that. Nothing was compromised on that end. But what the person did is kind of the final FU on their way out yeah. was uh, they deleted her company website and email, which takes 21 days to show up. But we went through the process with GoDaddy for, I- I'm not kidding you, we spent 20 hours on the phone with them 
did they change anything in our account? Nothing. And then one day she wakes up and her website and stuff is gone. Of course, we were able to recover it, you know, but still it's like these lasting effects. They messed with her business for no reason. There was nothing they could access just to be spiteful. You know, so like you said, it's really, I mean, I, I don't think people understand that emotional impact of being swapped. I, t- I said to you when you were going through the process of switching me over that when my phone turned off, it like gave me, I felt like I had PTSD from yeah, seeing yeah. my service go out. I know, I know, man. Like, you know, I hear it to a lot of stories. Like, that's why we have 24 service. And frankly, we do get calls at late night, uh, like 1 a.m. Hey, I got this hacked and what should I do? In few cases, we are able to recover, but in a lot of cases, like, no, we can't because damage has already been done. So uh, people don't realize it because a lot of people don't talk about it. It's like a taboo, right? Like imagine you're a lawyer and your client date was database was breached. You would never talk about it. Right, because uh-huh. everybody's going to think that their own data, which it may be, has been compromised. Correct. So it's a reputational problem at that time. And doctors on anyone small business. And then we try to cheap out on this specific cost. It's very fancy, right? Like, you know, uh, have a family plan or cheaper plan and you think you're smart, but in actually you are the victim here. Like it's just a, in a short term, yes, it's a very cheap, but it's like, you can also have a no insurance on your house or your car, run a, like, you know, no health insurance. You know, you can save money there too, or uh, don't put a lock on your door. You can also save money there. But cell phone is the most, I, I, don't, I, I think I spend most time with my cell phone uh, <laughs> more than my wife. Of course, that makes sense. I think we all get in trouble for that very same thing. I can say that I actually just spoke with Charlie Shrem, uh, who's a friend of mine. And randomly on the podcast, we ended up talking about you and what we, we kind of went through. Um, it was completely unplanned, but we obviously knew that we, we were all uh, mutual acquaintances and have worked with you. But as I touched on earlier, and I know he talked about this publicly in Moat Mind, he got swapped in the middle of the night when he called you and said, shit, what do I do here? What, what was your actual process? Walk me through what it looks like for you as he described it to me, wrestling back uh, his phone from the, from the hacker. Yeah, so first of all, we, the first thing we always ask you, like, is your life in danger? Right? That's a very important question, right? Do you know, are you under like, physical threat? That's the first question I asked everyone who, who called me. And the answer was no. Then I said, okay, you know, give me some seconds. And we get on a call. It was, I think, like three o'clock. And so I, I, I woke up and I said, okay, you know, let's, uh, um, let's solve this problem. So luckily within for his thing, I think we were able to get the number back in like two minutes, three minutes, very, very quick, uh, similar to what happened with you too. So we to were able clear, to- Really quick, to be clear, he was with Verizon or some, another plan. He wasn't actually with you. You were just helping him. Yeah, yeah I just helped him. I actually wanted to, uh, yeah. So I actually want He's with to, you now. <laughs> yeah, he's with us. Like, you know, he got it. Like a lot of people, they basically will say, hey, they'll keep on delaying it because they believe, hey, nothing is going to happen to us. So I just tell them, hey, stop putting the lock on your door. So nothing it. is going to happen to you. I did the same thing with you. I did the same Yeah, thing. I know. I know. A lot of people do that. And then they come back to us. And frankly, a lot of time damage is done, right? And we can't do, we, we protect them. So in his case, and I, I got on online. So I'm a kind of a white hat, a white hat hacker too. Uh, for some people who don't know, I'm actually a telecommunication engineer and that I'm with cybersecurity background. And I learned cybersecurity because I was actually a victim myself and I no one was there when I needed someone. So I said, okay, I will be there when people need us. And I don't push my product a lot. And the reason for that is purely because uh, one day they will come to me. And at that time, you know, <laughs> damage would maybe you're done. But in his specific case, uh, so I got on system and I was able to get it back. So we have some kind of, I don't want to press more on technical details because 
some of this information is proprietary and some right, of this of is course. secret, but you know, we have ways to hack it back. Like we just hack it back, like just think about it. Uh, but a lot of influencers get hacked. Like unfortunately we are in business of privacy, unfortunately uh, too. So we can't disclose a lot of our customers unless they give us permission, like in Charlie's case, um, he tweeted about it. <laughs> yeah, so that's the only reason why people are. That's yeah. the only reason I talk about it. And I, like, yeah. he's not on our website right now because he hasn't given us permission so far, which I haven't asked for. But we do ask explicitly for permission from customers. But we are very, very high profile clients. We are like a boutique shop, so we are not for everyone. We basically only work with like important people and people who care about the security and privacy. So in this case, like, you know, within five minutes, so I controlled the SIM card and I basically got hold of his telephone number. And I think within like 10 minutes, I called him from his own telephone number. Hey, hey Charlie, hi, how are you? And he was <laughs> kind of surprised, you know, and he said like, what the hell is this? Cause he actually thought that everything is secure. Like he had every assurance from everyone uh, in his current career that, hey, you're secure. Um, right. so a, and false security is even worse than you know, like having no security at all. Like if you're unsecured, you should know, but if you're carrier, everyone believe that, hey, you're safe and still you're not. And this is, we can prove it to anyone. Like I say, why don't you call your carrier and tell them that, hey, you are getting hacked and we'll hack you in front of them. Right. And that's a very simple claim. Like, you know, if you believe you're safe, you can off mitigate like, hey, uh, I don't, it's, it's fine if I get hacked, right? That's a different story right? Like I can't convince you because you don't know what's going to happen because it's very hard for me to educate. It's like Bitcoin, right? Uh, there were naysayers when we got into Bitcoin. Like there were people, hey, Scott, you're stupid. You are getting into Bitcoin. It's a Ponzi scheme, just scam, dark web. So you can't convince them, right? It's difficult. So let's the time decide. Right. That makes sense. So do you have any legal recourse against a carrier if they allow you to get SIM swapped? We've seen some high profile cases where people were, you know, hacked for tens of millions of dollars and sued and were successful. But if you're an average person, you get swapped, you lose a little money, someone hacks an account. Do you have any legal recourse? Not really, frankly. So if you got into crypto, like imagine you're with one of the major exchanges, and I'll try not to be very specific here because of legal reasons, but I'll just give you, that's why I'm using the common terms. So imagine your carrier seems swapped you, but uh, no, the only recourse may be that they may pay you for the days that you have lost your service. So if you lost your service one day and your plan is $100, they may return you $3. Oh, great. No. And I'll give you a very simple analogy around it. Again, I'm not a legal expert, but I'll give you a simple analogy. Like imagine you are sitting on an American airline, right? And you miss your flight because of some mistake by them. Or like, you know, so you didn't get for your meeting, right? To New York, because you're flying from Florida, or Miami. Uh, now, can you sue your American airline that, hey, because I lost the meeting, I lost the business. So you are supposed to give me the money. You know, it doesn't work like that, right? They may return you the ticket flight or they may give you a hundred dollar extra to have nice dinner, but it doesn't depend on the impact because they're not taking responsibility of your business. And that's what we do. We actually have a $500 insurance policy on top to cover any unfortunate event because frankly, regardless of my thing, but in the practically uh, it's impossible, but theoretically it is possible that even we can be hacked or anyone in the world can be hacked. Anything in the world is hackable. Even Bitcoin is hackable. Right. And you never know uh, what, you know, new techniques or technology is going to develop. I mean, it seems like if you're, in this business of security, you're basically trying to stay one step ahead of hackers who are constantly evolving, correct? 
Correct. And that's why we say we are the most secure, but obviously we are not the ultimate security. And uh, so we ha- just have a fallback policy as insurance. If something goes wrong, we have some insurance policy to cover it. I mean, $5 million. So what is that insuring? Is that insuring the losses from your bank account or your crypto or things like that? Is that what it's... Any loss that results uh, from our service. So imagine you... Uh, it doesn't mean that, hey, you go- went for camping and you didn't get a cell phone call. It doesn't include that, right? It doesn't include that, hey, you gave your information to someone and he hacked it to you, but if you get sin trapped, yes, we are responsible for any any losses. It's really interesting. So you obviously, you talked about Bitcoin in the early days and people thinking it was a Ponzi scheme uh, since this is a crypto-based podcast. Can you talk about what got you into crypto? What was your early interest in Bitcoin? And then, of course, you're the inventor of the uh, Bitcoin ATM, which is huge. So could you talk about all that? Yeah. So uh, the reason I got into crypto was, frankly, like when I went to, I, I came, I went to Canada in 2010 for school. And around that time, I was working on a startup and I bought Bitcoin pure Purely, purely, purely for speculation reasons. Uh, Bitcoin, I think, was sixty dollars. So I just read somewhere, I think, on TechCrunch or some other newspaper that hey, uh, Bitcoin is increasing. So I said, I'll buy it for sixty dollars, maybe sell it for like hundred dollars, and just make some money. That was it. I was like early twenties. Uh, when I bought the Bitcoin, actually it dropped to like more than sixty percent the next day. I said, okay, you know, I got scammed. So I thought it's a Ponzi scheme. It's like you know, I guess uh, what I wanted to do, someone did on me. So you actually thought that? I mean, you actually were one of the people who bought it and then were like, ah, this is a joke. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. I, I was very depressed. Like, man, I put my, I bought it to my credit card. Like, you know, I went and did a cash at once and uh, I was a student, right? Like, you know, I basically had, uh, uh, I wasn't saving. Like, you know, I had a couple of success in the past, but ultimately I was a student. So I was being cheap. Uh, but yeah, I did felt that, oh, okay, I got scammed. And so I, I think I bought like 100 Bitcoins for $6,000 or something. Uh, six, seven thousand dollars, like something, and I bought it on <laughs> Gox. Of course, you did. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you know, like next time I wanted to buy Bitcoin, you know, it was nowhere to go, but buy a Bitcoin. It was almost impossible to buy Bitcoin because, um, for people who don't know, your account can get shut down if you deal with like Coinbase or any other account. And because I was living in Canada, I'm also a Canadian, so when I was living in Canada, it was very difficult for us to have an exchange in Canada. They would literally one or two exchanges and those exchanges were not like, it was, you have to do a wire transfer. And when you do a wire transfer, you have to go through like, it was a very, very complicated process. Like you have right. to send a wire fees, you have to send it to a different bank account or the other option was BTCE, which was in Russia and no one knew who, who they are. Uh, but there was no like Krakens at that. They were, but like, you know, they were mostly in America, but I was living right. in Canada. Right. We said, why don't you just buy, buy like a chaos, frankly, like, you know, that was the idea, but we thought it was just like a joke. Um, so when we started the company, um, so around the story, you know, we said, okay, you know, that's thing I called up my first customer was Anthony Diorio. Huh. Anthony Diorio was one of the few pe- first people who funded Ethereum. So I don't know if you know that, but I think Anthony, Anthony was the first person who gave check to Ethereum, uh, to Ethereum foundation. He was the first backer of Ethereum. Interesting. Uh, I don't, did you know that Scott? No, I, I had no idea. No idea. Yeah, the first person who gave money to uh, Ethereum was Anthony Diorio. He lives in Toronto. Uh, run the company called Decentral. So I gave him a call. I think I found him. So Anthony background is he made a website in crypto and he sold it to Eric, I believe. Yeah. Um, um, uh, who then shape shift. Uh, but anyway, Anthony was very early into crypto too. He was a local Bitcoiner, very, very smart guy. And he says, okay, you know, so I saw his interview on LinkedIn. 
Um, no, I think on CNBC or some news about Bitcoin, but think about like 2012, 2013, not a lot of people, a lot of people were talking about Bitcoin. Right now, everyone's talking about Bitcoin. By that time, frankly, it is very hard to find a single person in your city. Yeah, to, nobody even heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, uh, and now unless you live under the rock, right, somewhere, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a fair chance you may have heard of it. You don't know what Bitcoin is, but you may have heard about it. But at that time, it was almost impossible for people to know about Bitcoin. So I reached out to him and he said, okay, you know, that's fine. You know, like, okay, you know, let me come down. So he was building a decentralized, uh, decentral in, in Toronto. And around that time, uh, so these were like physical houses because you have to educate people. So every city was building like decentral house, like Bitcoin embassies, you know, like Bitcoin decentral, like these kinds. So he was one of the pioneers of that system, uh, a place. So he got a place in, on Spadana Street, I remember, um, in Toronto. Like it's like uh, Times Square and not a Times Square, but very, very close to like downtown in Toronto. And he got a place and he said, I'm opening a center then and it would be wonderful if we have a Bitcoin ATM there, which is the first machine in Toronto. And he said, okay, that's fantastic. So I think it was around like number. And I remember uh, specifically that uh, I, we drove around like I think on the midnight of New Year night, we rented a car, everything was closed. We went to the airport, we rented a car. Uh, it was like a van, we put the Bitcoin ATM in and we installed on 1st of January, 2014 the first Bitcoin ATM installation in Toronto. Once we did that, uh, you know, like frankly, uh, media started pouring in, you know, we got a call, we got mentioned in multiple news outlets because this is a big thing, like, you know, first Bitcoin ATM, like it, it, was, it was something that will fascinate people. And then we became like, to go for Bitcoin ATM, we had more business than we could have handled. Around that time, I met Alexis Ohanian, which is the founder of Reddit. Uh, he used one of our machines and he said, okay, well, apply to Y Combinator, which I did. And we are fortunate to be among the, one of the most smartest, every badge is smart, uh, more than most like, you know, a crypto focused uh, badge in YC, like, you know, Blockstack, which was known as one name at that time, Filecoin, which is known as IPFS. Uh, there was another company called uh, San Francisco uh, Exchange, uh, Open Exchange. They're one of the biggest aggregator in the US. So there were like multiple, it was very crypto focused group. Right, uh, and then we hosted a meetup in our house in Los Altos, uh, California, around crypto focus. And then I met uh, folks from Stellar, you know, like uh, Metal Pay, like those all company. Like we, because it was very hard for someone to actually work with us at that time, because no one wanted to work with us, frankly, uh, because every investor said. I remember a word of a very famous investor. I think it was they were Sequoia, and they said, you know, we are okay to come late to the party and pay a premium, but we don't want to be. With, we don't want to be somewhere where there's no party. These right. were the, they said no to We met with like A16Z at that time. I remember meeting with like Ben, uh, Mark, uh, all from pretty much A16Z, every major investor, everyone said no to us, except Pantera Capital and Blockchain Capital at that time. And so you started this though, right before the Mt. Gox hack, correct? So the Mt. Gox hack kind of put a negative spin on Bitcoin for quite a while. Was that a challenge for you or did it not affect you? I think it actually worked in our favor because people still believe that physically they trust physical uh, more than digital. That's still the mentality. Like if you go in a store and you buy something, you may trust them more than something you buy online. So our thing was we were just paying like a convenience. So you can just walk into a store and just pay money and guide Bitcoin immediately. Like that was the best feeling. You can just put $100 and see actually $100 appear in your account immediately. Right. right. That is like, you know, we, so I think I maybe, maybe 1 million people bought their first Bitcoin through me. 
That's and maybe able world. to claim that. Like maybe the first, like we introduce people to like literally to million. Because even right now, if you go on Coinbase or any other exchange, you have to make an account, you have to send an ID. It become like kind of a tough experience. Like it's, it's, it makes you paranoid. Like you're sending ID to someone, then you're wiring trans- wire transfer to someone, connect you to a bank account. It all is a, is, a, is a tough experience. But our case, simple. Our goal was you will buy a Bitcoin within 16, 60 seconds. That was the pitch. Buy Bitcoin within 60 seconds. You walk up to a machine, you put your telephone number, we do a small KYC, you put, and that's how I discovered telephone numbers, how telephone numbers are important. Because there are companies who will sell you multiple data just based on telephone number. We can actually know when the number was activated, which company is it with, uh, how long are you using the number. So we, we had our, our algorithm to flag it. So like imagine you have Florida number that got activated in New York and now using in Michigan. We could have flagged that. And based on that, we could have red flag and blocked the transaction. But, uh, but yeah, so around that time, uh, I learned so much about like, you know, this KYC and email and you know, how numbers are important. It's actually num- your telephone number is more important than a social security number minded. Right. And far but, easier to get, right? I mean, that's far correct. easier to find. Yeah. Correct. And you don't think about like, if I ask for Scott, like, can you have your social security number? Like you say, what the hell is it? Like, you know, why do you need my social security number? But if I give you my telephone number, the only thing that you may be afraid of that Hasib may spam me. As we make cold call me, that's the only fear that comes in your mind. Of course. Apart from that, there's no other fear. Um, but technically, you're giving me key technical. But one thing I missed was, which was very interesting. So when I sold machine to uh, Anthony, uh, so around that time, he introduced like Vitalik was living in Toronto, right? And he said, "I'm working on this project called Ethereum." Uh, okay, that's fine. So we don't have a website right now, but I think they <laughs> were on website. Uh, but they say, okay, you know, next month we are uh, we are st- we are going to Miami Bitcoin conference, which is run by Mo Lemon, which is another good friend of mine. And they said, uh, why don't you join us in the Ethereum house? Okay, <laughs> so this is where stories get very. Pan- I think there were seven people, like uh, Ch- Charles Austin from uh, Cardano. We were all living in the same almost same apartment. Uh, Vitalik, uh, Vlad, uh, Anthony. And I think uh, consensus, Joseph, you know, like the, the, all the core group, right? Right. And the it was only a small thing, group. Yeah, yeah. All the group we were living in one house, right? For the conference, right? Around that time, I met Charlie because, because again, it's very early days, so it's very hard to find like really, really fanatics for like crypto. Um, and uh, yeah, so so the story happened, and around that time, you know, we were talking Bitcoin. So there's one person who said, "No, I don't want to join the Ethereum Foundation," and that was me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Always claim like, you know, why the hell I did it, right? Uh, but at one point in time, they, we were doing a, uh, so Ethereum ICO was supposed to be done on our ATM. Uh, but because of some reasons, we didn't go ahead with that. But luckily, they were, I was able to buy Ethereum at a very good price. I think 15 cents at that time. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, because they were pre-ICO. So, they were actually pre-ICO too. So, you just so, did sell some tokens beforehand too. And so we went through all that kind of transition and that's how I got in crypto. And obviously like, think about it. Like, you know, you are sitting in class with like smart people from Filecoin, Blockstack, who are really smart. Um, and then, you know, talking to Ethereum folks, like, you know, guys who were building the net at that time, uh, you know, so I frankly was becoming like, uh, lucky, I would say lucky, but purely for, I was surrounded by so many smart people and why Combinator and like, you know, uh, like Jed, I think he was working at Stellar at that time because Ripple was, uh, he was getting off Ripple and he started working with Stellar. And they, these were all concepts, like, you know, this is how the world will work. And I remember the conversation with Ethereum because Ethereum was called uh, Bitcoin 2.0. Uh, 
But again, you know, for the sake of conversation of this thing, maybe we can keep a lot more stories about how interesting things happen in crypto uh, and how we thought it would work and how they're working right now. But focus most on security. Right. So that obviously transitioned you, as you said, learning about phone numbers and those things and and into security. So I want to pivot back to SIM swaps a bit. Uh, With the global pandemic that's happening, is there extra risk? What's the impact of COVID-19 on your security and and your potential for being hacked? Uh, Well, it's increased. Like Number one reason is that uh, if imagine the system of collapse, right? Right now, if you want to go to hold of your bank, uh, good luck calling and speaking to your banker right now. Hours. Takes hours. I've tried. It's horrible. Correct. And, you know, like, so impossible to find. Like, imagine you are with a carrier and you are in one of those cheaper cell phone plans. Uh, good luck calling them right now and they may put you on a hold. So if you got SIM swap or you got screwed up uh, or anything, like, before, so imagine, like, you got SIM swap, right? Think about it. And now you may take, like, one day to get hold of your account. Uh, you can't get a SIM card anymore because obviously the stores are closed. So they have to ship you a SIM card, which will go through the regular process. So it may take you a week before you actually get your SIM card back from them. Then you have to start calling your bank accounts. And before, like, frankly, off, like you don't have a lot of response time uh, once, they, once they initiate an attack on you. They will plan properly and they want to attack you. Uh, you're done within like maybe uh, hours, you know, right. maybe like half an hour. So... Uh, yeah, so you can't do it at this point of time. So yes, COVID-19 have actually, unfortunately, uh, as we are quarantined, the criminals are also quarantined. So they actually, uh, and with zero risk, like think about it, like, you know, if you're a cyber criminal, you can literally sit anywhere in the world, use a VPN and hack someone and uh, be untraceable. They don't operate out of our land in majority of the case. Sometimes they do, but a lot of cases, they don't operate out of our uh, lands or jurisdictions. So there's no control over them. Right. What's really crazy, something you just touched on that I never thought of, but if this had happened to me now, if I had been SIM swap, say today, I mean, yeah. I had to close every financial account that I had, right? Correct, not, not only crypto, but I had to shut down my bank accounts. I was literally living off of cash for two weeks that I, had, yeah. that I happened to have, but my bank's closed. I had to physically go into a bank to open a new account. That's not something they'll do online. You have to sign papers and show ID and do those things. So you literally, I literally would not have had a bank account until this was over. Correct. And, and frankly, if you close, like getting hold of them and verifying your ID, because they may think that you're a hacker, right? So, uh, so they may do their check. But before everything happens, because one thing you, you forget a lot about, when people actually have hacked you, they have the latest information. You don't, may not have it. Like, how would you remember that? What transition did I do like two, two weeks ago? But hacker can sit in front of a computer and can go through all the transactions and verify that he's actually you and you are not you. Because he has control of your account. So he right. would have a much better chance of uh, potentially acting as you. Right. And I mean... Do you, do you think that these hackers do a trial run in advance? Like, do they call the specific, you know, um, like if they were trying to hack your bank, for example, do they call and see what information they ask for before they do it so that they can make sure that they have that information on hand? So they have, actually have everything, right? So before they come to you, uh, before they attack you, they have all already done a lot of their groundwork. Right. right? Like on Charlie Shram, like attack was very, very perfectly timed, like three o'clock in the morning uh, at night, like imagine like, the banks, I think it was Friday night, right? So, or Saturday night or something like that. I think it was a weekend. And um, uh, the bank will be shut down next day. So they would get like 48, 24 hours. And they would have probably everything before uh, you can react to that. 
So like imagine Chase Bank, it's a, it's a list, right? It may be a list of like five questions you have to ask, like, uh, uh, and, uh, and those questions are public, right? So based on whatever that happened, they, it's, it's a, it's a, it's just, it's a machine that's going, it's an algorithm that's running. You are not competing with you. You're competing about criminals who are very sophisticated and, uh, they're coming after you. So they run everything. They have algorithms, smart folks who are actually, unfortunately using their mind for to hurt you or right. damage you uh, but yeah right now like you know you can't call anyone frankly it's almost i call i try to call my bank for some other reasons um i think i wanted some statement or something and they said we are not taking appointments uh, over the phone yeah. you have to set up an appointment online uh and then we will tell you when we are available Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've been through a lot of the same things. Just a really quick question as well. We've talked a lot about phone security. I know that uh, some people have asked and are curious, are there browsers online that are secure that'll actually protect you? Or is that something that's not necessarily uh, useful? So I prefer to use a VPN all the time. Like on, like we don't offer a VPN right now, but we will be starting offering our own personal VPN because right now the problem with the VPN is that they share the same pool. So like think about IP, like, you know, maybe you are using an IP that's shared and that's making you vulnerable to lo to do right thing. Like you may log on to Facebook or go to your bank account or any other thing with the person who is using that IP specifically for wrong reasons, right? So that's why, so go for a better VPN. Uh, Browser-wise, I personally use Brave, you know, frankly, uh, they don't pay me for that, but you know, I do like them. Uh, but if you are too paranoid, you can actually build kind of a, your own browser too. Uh, from a, like you can go on GitHub and compile like uh, like like Chrome browser is basically built on Chromium, so you can compile your own browser and and have the right plugins and use it uh, if you want to go that far. But for average customer, I think Brave is fairly decent. What uh, what information is someone getting from your browser if you're using say Chrome? I mean, we know that Google's gathering everything, but it sounds like people are getting your information on the dark web or elsewhere, anyways. But what extra risk are you taking by using a browser like Chrome? So it depends, like the, when Google uses information, they basically use it for different purposes. Other, there is, it's, it could be kind of criminal too, but they basically use it to target you so you can basically pay them more. So if I want to run an ad on Google, I can tell them, hey, this is person that we should talk to. This is what uh, this person is. Uh, like, you know, I want to show them better ads, right? I want to make sure right. that they, I can impact their mind if they want to. So that's one right. thing that Google does. Uh, like they will not like say, Hey, I want this information because I want to hack this person. Um, so, so it depends, like, you know, what's your goal? Are, is your goal more around like no one should track me or is it your goal around like no one should hack me? If the goal is around like no one should hack me, like, you know, frankly, like Google is not going to do that. But if you say that, Hey, Google should not be listening to my information. And because Google has that information, they may compromise that information. Then just use Brave. Like Brave is fairly good browser. Right. That's, I think that's what uh, most people in crypto want to hear because I think it's the favorite browser, uh, certainly in this space. So um, any other additional tips before we finish that people should know about security before we quickly go to how someone can actually uh, contact you and, and use Afani? Yeah, yeah. So certainly. So I do actually help people without like, you know, like they don't have to switch to our service, right? Because obviously I do it mostly for a mission revenue company. Ideally they should use this, but for some reason, like you know, people may want to save money, right? They may not be able to afford it, or they may think that they want, they want to compromise on getting a Netflix over their own personal data. Cause someone is paying for that data, right? Either it's you or it's criminals. That's the true story. Like either you are a product. So we believe that you're not the product. So 
phone secure 2FA is very very must right try to use 2FA as much as get a new phone get on eBay or like Amazon or any other store or find it in your closet like you know an old phone uh, that can have a 2FA and install it and implement don't like wait like no say I'll do it tomorrow do it right now that's one thing you should do second thing is like you know have maybe a multiple email address like you know maybe have two email addresses like you can go on gmail and create like two email addresses and connect them together you don't have to check two inboxes so one should be like giving spam to everyone so if you want to sign up for a service you can have like multiple there's one other tip that i want to give it to you is i don't know if you know that but on gmail you can actually add plus to your id and have a unique email address and you can give it to different people so imagine you want to sign up for uh for our service, just to give you examples, you can have a Scott plus Ifani at gmail.com. Sorry? I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. So if you sign up for like, imagine um, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, Chase Bank, you can have as Ifani, uh, sorry, Scott plus Chase at Gmail. So whatever come up plus and after, Gmail ignores that. But this is a very good trick for you to understand if your data has been uh, sold anywhere, and if you make it a practice any everywhere, it's simple. Like you know, so as soon as your Chase Bank account is breached somewhere or something else happened, you can immediately track what's the source of spam, on what's the source of like. Imagine uh, you give your address to uh, to Chase Bank, but now you are getting email from some lawyer or some other thing. You can understand that hey, Chase is the guy who's who's releasing my data. Uh, that makes sense. So how does somebody? Uh contact you after this and get secured? Uh, well, it's, it's ifani.com. So if they want to go up and sign up for ifani.com, that's the easiest way. If they want to reach out to me, I'm Haseeb on uh, Twitter, simple H-A-S-W-E-B, or they can email us through our own website, like Haseeb at ifani.com. I'm happy to help them. And, you know, like if they, uh, you know, they have any concerns about security like that, I do, I do this for passion, frankly. Uh, so I actually, and I want to li- listen about people's story too what they have suffered, like, you know, cause it obviously help us improve too. Uh, so, and frankly, if someone is going through a pain right now, cause a lot of people don't talk about it. Like, you know, I'm, everything that you talk to me is confidential. Like, you know, we basically, that we are in business of privacy and security. So think of us as a doctor, right? Basically we have those kinds yeah, of- Hippocratic oath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you know, security, yeah. Yeah, this is how we do. Like, you know, everything you do is like basically confidential and you can call me directly. We can have a secure line and we can go over the issue right now because a lot of people are going through uh, ransom. So I'll give you a simple example before you finish off. Uh, on Gmail, you can set up a label, right? So, uh, and this is a tip. So you can set up a label. So a lot of time what hacker will do, they may hack your account and before they give, they give you your account back, they may set up a label in your, in your account. So if you want to do for a password reset, right? If you want to do for uh, like, uh, I want to uh, record this account. So Scott, don't change the password and pay me $1,000 per month. You keep on paying, but one day you say, I don't want to pay you anymore. I'll just change my password. You change the password. I can recover that password because I already have the labels. I'll go to Gmail and say, because I'm actually Scott, I lost my password, but I remember these two labels or three labels, right? So Gmail will say, hey, yeah, this is basically Scott because how would someone else know that these are three labels, right? And they will give you account access to a new guy. And now he'll ask, rather than asking $1,000, he'll ask for $2,000. And you will not know even how he's hacking you again because he's already in your accounts. He's already left a backdoor in your account. Man, I feel like I'm not going to sleep at night after this conversation because it brings back all the, uh, all the crap that I went through doing this before. And you know that you know, it's very clear that even once you've been a target, that you're probably more of a target, not less of a target, and they're going to try to come for you again. 
hundred percent. Like I'll give you a simple example of another person, like how people will hack you. Like, you know, how do you convince? So imagine I give you a, I can go online and find your number. Like it's pretty simple. Like, you know, if you are a general person, there are a lot of, of services that offer your number. You just, you have to pay for it. And what I'll do is basically I can just call you right now and, uh, and leave a voicemail or like you may pick up the call and say, Hey, Ken Scott, can you call me back? And you call me back. Now there's a transaction of record of like, I made a call to you and I'm, you made a call back to me. So I can call, sorry, I can call your career and tell them that, Hey, uh, I'm Scott. I lost my SIM card. They say, how do you prove it? Okay. This is my name. This is everything. But Hey, the last call I received is from this number. Right. And the last call I made is from this number. Now that's the very confidential information. And now based on that, they can just transfer the number. Uh, it's so scary. Yeah, I know. I know it's, it's like, I, unfortunately, the only reason you have to do it is because you have to educate people on about like how every second, as I said, three Americans become a victim. And frankly, uh, we tell everyone like, you know, act before you're a victim. You know, like you don't have to wait. Like, you know, other things can wait, but security should not. If you can't sleep in your house without locking your door, then yes, you can. Then you have the balls that I don't have. Right. I agree with you. I mean, uh, I think that it's, very important that people understand that you don't have to be a certain kind of person to be a target of this and that everyone should be securing themselves. doesn't matter who they are. hundred percent, hundred percent. If they don't do it, they're doing them a disfavor. And a lot of time it's not that they're putting themselves at risk, but a lot of people who may be vulnerable in their family who are at risk, like their grandmother, their father, the family, their kids. Uh, like imagine some kids, they're like five, five years old, like 10 years old, and they're using TikTok or they're sending some videos on their phone. And how would you, and they may be getting blackmail right now. You don't even know. Yeah. Your I've, I've, I've seen that. We had a, a friend of a family who went through something like that with a eight year old child. So, so it's, it's, it's like, again, we don't want to emphasize a lot, but frankly, it's, it's a problem and people don't realize unless, unless until they're, they're screwed up. Uh, so it's like insurance, right? You don't, be, you you just think you're paying for insurance because like you don't never had an accident, but the one day that you you get out your insurance off or you go oh, for lower class. That's the day where you have an accident. Every time, every time. Well, this has been uh, very enlightening and very uh, eye opening, and I hope everybody listens and takes all of the advice to heart, and that uh, you get a lot of people calling you to help them because I know that there's so many people out there who have been victims of this. When it happened to me, and I put it on Twitter, I had hundreds of messages of people who said, "Oh, this happened to me," like it was an everyday occurrence, but you never hear about it, like you said. So now. Hopefully we're shining the light on what a big problem this is and uh, we can help people secure themselves to get private. So thank you so much for coming on today and uh, spending time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at Scott Melker to continue the conversation. See you next week.